Come and dream with me. Welcome to What Do You Want to Watch the Explosion Network's premium media podcast. Every fortnight, we get together to talk about movies, TV, and online content, and help you answer the question, when can you watch First Cow? I got no, no idea. Not really I've been helpful. Googling that literally all fucking year. Um, all of last year, I'm pretty sure. Like, at least once a month, I'd be like, First Cow Australia streaming, First Cow Australia released at First Cow. Oh, Incredible. I'm your host, Ashley Hobley. Joining me today, Dylan Blight. I was also Googling Erg earlier, um, a couple of weeks ago, when I was reading lots of uh, people's top ten lists, which we're doing our own this episode. But, you know, I see people are talking about that Another Shot movie, like a month ago or so. I'm like, oh, yeah. The, the Mads Mikkelsen? Yeah, I was like, oh, it's yeah, I forgot about coming that. coming out this like month, next I month. think. Yeah, January, like either, February. Late January, early February or something like that. But... It, disgusting some of these release dates it's like people are like oh yeah it came out like mid america middle of the month limited release or some shit i'm like limited release in what limited cinema <laughs> in like Ju- june kidding me come on now yeah come on start releasing stuff over here quicker it's 2021 you know it's outrageous it is outrageous uh, yeah, so in today's episode, we'll be talking about a little bit of what's in watch history. We'll be going over our tracked year in reviews, and then we'll be revealing our own personal top 10 movies of 2020. Uh, let's take things off. Dylan, you went out to the cinema and you watched the new Australian drama, The Dry. Oh, yeah. I was like, holy shit. I, I came into this podcast just thinking it was doing a you know, wrap up, and I was like, wait, hold on. We're. I've already watched a new movie. I've already been to the cinemas. Um, yeah, the, the Dry. So based on the Jane Harper, off the top of my head, yeah, uh, novel came out a couple of years ago. It was really popular. Keeps audible and everything else. Kept being like, read this. I'm like, yeah, one day, mate. Um, so the movie was adapted by I can't remember director's name, but I think he's the one that did like Dakota or something like that. Off the top of my head. Um, it's basically the story of this cop, this Melbourne cop, played by Eric Banner, and he, uh, like one of his childhood friends from this fictional rural, rural Victorian town, like a, like like small town, one street type, like a farming town, right? Uh, it, and that's where he grew up, and his uh, one of his childhood friends has well, not only died. But he's he's called back there because his childhood friend killed or has been accused of killing his family and then taking his own life. So he he comes back there for the funeral and then straight away there's there's a bunch of people who are like, yeah, he was a how could he do that? This is messed up. But then he, he, his family is like, can you investigate this for old times' sake? Uh, so then the movie kicks off with him basically. Being like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll stay a day. I'll, I'll, I'll have a look into it type thing. And then, of course, th- things spiral from then. Uh, but the other thing is that the movie is... Uh, it's the first time he's been back. Eric Banner's ca- character's first time he's been back to the town since he was a kid. And the movie, very early on, starts having all these like sorts of flashbacks to when he was a kid. And something that happened between him, these two other girls, uh, and Luke, the one who, whose funeral he came back for. Um, 
and it's like, oh, it's all interconnected, this sort of thing. So it's like small town mystery, murder plot, potential, like secrets to uncover, like what's what's happening type thing. Uh, very dark, very moody. Um, and I like the way it all came together. I guess like there's, there's something to be said for these these Australian movies where they're set in buck fuck nowhere and like pretty much everyone seems like they could, could potentially be up to something or like out to to to, to, to do something for 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 own and ties all these mysteries in it kind of reminded me it's like a, watching it i was like what it was feeling like an australian version of um what was a tv show a couple uh last year uh the the one with um uh what was it called sharp objects yeah it was like it was yeah. feeling like it was feeling kind of like similar tone, but I guess an Australian version where it's like yeah, that small town feeling, lots of secrets, uh, flashbacks to childhood, interconnecting stories, like these sorts of things. Uh, but no, it, it, it was really really good. The other thing that I want to shout out for it was Genevieve O'Reilly's in it, um, which I haven't seen in anything other than really Star Wars because she plays uh, Mon Mothma throughout her, her couple roles as Mon Mothma. <laughs> throughout history of Star Wars. Um, and, and I mean, apparently she's returning to that role in the uh, Cassian series, so yeah. that'll be interesting. Uh, but yeah, th- th- I think this is the only, the, the, other than like Glitch, this is like the only other thing I think I've ever seen here, which, and, and she's like one of the, the main people in this alongside Eric Banner, so shout out to her as well. Uh, but no, the cast is really good. I guess the only negative thing you could say for it, I think that just comes down to the character, the way it's written is... Um, Eric Banner's character is sort of, uh, it, it, it gets that, you know, when, you know, when you talk about a movie that's based on a book and it feels like the, the lead character's kind of written, kind of, his personality isn't very outgoing or whatever, which works more in a book because it's like, well, he's just the, the catalyst to take you through the story in the book and, you know, put you in your shoes. Whereas in a movie, he just kind of comes across a bit, you're like, what? What's there? Is there more to this guy? You know, it's a bit quiet and whatever else. But uh, no, I re- really, really enjoyed it, and I, I brought the book as soon as I got home. So I'm, I'm now reading. I'm now, now got the book. Cool. And apparently, it's a sequel. So will we get the sequel? I assume so. Who knows? I guess we'll find out. Uh, cool. So then you've also watched the new Doctor Who special, Revolution of the Daleks. Uh, you also caught up on the latest season of Doctor Who. Do you want to give your thoughts on that first? Uh, so I forgot how much of that I watched and it turned out handy, handy tracked. Thanks for, the, uh, if you use tracked, you'll never lose your place in a TV show because you'll be able to see the last episode of a show you watched. Um, I think I had to watch the last three or four episodes of season 12. That's kind of where I dropped off. And it was one of those things where I couldn't, if you'd asked me pre- before I looked it up, what happened in season 12, I'd be like, I can't remember. But then when I was looking at the episodes, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I was like, yeah, cool, 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 cool. Um, I didn't like season 12, I've decided. <laughs> was my, uh, my feelings. Um, I, and I, I didn't like the ver- last, the season finale very much at all. And not for the same reason I see a lot of people on the internet getting very angry about. Um, oh, fuck. I'm just going to spoil it because I'm about to talk about the goddamn special at this stage if you haven't. Yep. It's been like nearly a year at this stage. Anyway, the season finale of Doctor Who, they, they did this whole storyline where they reveal that the Doctor was... Um, she, so instead of just being a, a child of the Time Lords, she is a completely different species 
and the original Time Lords weren't actually called Time Lords, they're called something else, and they basically got the Doctor's DNA and used it to make themselves be able to uh, regenerate, and then they named themselves the Time Lords after the fact. So now they've set up this whole thing where the Doctor is like a completely different different species from somewhere out there in the universe. Anyway, of course, hardcore nerds on the internet spat it because they're like, well, this changes everything. I, I, I'm I, open to whatever storylines or else the show will die if they don't start doing just drastic things to make it more interesting because eventually people will get sick of the, the show, I'm sure. But I, I just thought the episode was a complete fucking mess. <laughs> I was like, this is just... <laughs> it gets so like left field nonsensical or whatever else. Anyway, at the end of that episode, the Doctor gets arrested um chucked in jail and all of her companions are like on earth without her and you're like wow that's that's an odd place to end the season because usually seasons end with the doctor and the companions at least together even if there's a cliffhanger or something i don't know um so the the special revolution of daleks kicks off with a flashback to the last special where they or was the previous one i can't remember anyway the last the, the special where they took on a dalek uh and it, it does this whole thing where it's like oh what happens after the doctor who special where they fought the dalek what happens who comes in and takes care of the the dalek and it shows like some group coming in to pick it up or whatever and then someone steals it flash forward a year and um that guy how, did you watch much of season 12 no no i think i got to a similar point as you and then dropped off. okay because do, do you remember that? Do you remember episode where there's a guy and he's like trying to turn all these bees or some shit like that into me- mechanical bees into monsters or, or, or something along those lines? It was like wasps or something. No, it doesn't sound that. Anyway, th- that guy comes back and he's like, "Yeah, fuck yeah, th- you forwarded my plans, you mysterious kids." Now he's got this Dalek and he's basically they've they've what would you call reverse engineered the Dalek so they can create a bunch of new ones and he's been pitching them to the he's pitching them as uh security systems right so they're, they're gonna they're gonna replace the 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 police and he's like trying to sell them to politicians or something like that of course they don't actually have the the daleks inside them or like the actual you know, beings they're just like reverse engineered but then some cocky scientist is like oh i found some dna strands so then of course you know you know where that's all gonna go yep. anyway doctors in prison there's a lot of cool Easter eggs at the very start of this episode with the monsters that are in prison. Like, I'm not gonna spoil all of them, but the fir- <laughs> the what the the first one I found hilarious is they've got a fucking um, weeping angel chained up inside this prison, just standing there with like fucking like handcuffs on it and everything. And of course, the doctor blinks and you have a whole scary moment. There's a lot of other Easter eggs, and then as seen in the trailer, um, Captain Jack gets himself arrested to help get the doctor out of prison because there's a Dalek and we need help. Uh, and the rest of the, the special is really, really good. It was like fast paced. It was written well. Um, I think having Jack an episode help because, you know, obviously he's written with that sort of sly fast paced humor and, uh, th- those sorts of lines. And he, he has a lot of great throwaway, uh, lines. If you're longtime fans of the show, you'll, you know, you, you'll appreciate some of the things he's, he says in the episode. That was great um action pack finale was really good and then they uh, it's not a spoiler to say this because this was you know released before the episode but the the episode ends this well the special ends with um graham and fuck i can't remember the guy's name graham and the his his son or whatever his name is 
they 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 decide that they they're done with their doctor doctor whoing adventures and so that's that that's them and that you have a little bit of a sad moment with them staying back and whatever else so it was, it was pretty good though I, I actually think this is probably the best episode with the 12th doctor in my opinion like uh best storyline it was just i'm like yeah. okay so more of this because <laughs> i was generally surprised like after coming off season 12 where i was like okay well the best episode was probably a six so <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right so you're keen for season 13 whenever that is um yes i guess so coming off this i uh, i know they 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 already said there's someone else coming into the tardis some comedian or something they, they post on twitter they're like oh get ready for this dude to come join or whatever which was a little bit disappointing because obviously you it was set up like oh you're just gonna have this two two now and it would be the first time in history because the the doctor's obviously a female at the moment would have been like cool to cool to have and a lot of people have pointed this out like it would have been cool for the first time to just have two girls <laughs> two females but then they're like oh, okay we're We've got to add a third and it's male, so it kind of ruined that. Anyway. Listen, um, the, the the British ladies need their eye candy. Uh, I think he's an older guy. I don't know. He's probably, I don't know if he's considered a hot, hot, hot older man or not. I don't know. Uh, no, don't I, I'm, 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 I'm looking forward women. to it. Because as I said, that, that storyline that they, at, that, at the end, like, oh, the Doctor's not really a time board, blah, 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 blah. I don't hate the idea because if, done right there's lots of interesting ideas and obviously that's where the the show's going now it's like okay so the doctor now has to try and discover the true history of her past or you know like where she actually comes from kind of thing and like that that's a that's cool i'm i'm, I'm down for that i just hope it's done a lot better than the way they actually went about <laughs> the revealing it that yeah. the revealing because i just thought it was like that whole episode was piss poor <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so during my break, I've been re-watching the, uh, animated series Legend of Korra, uh, which was, of course, a spin-off of the Aang, The Last Airbender. Uh, super enjoyable, obviously. This, Korra is very different to Aang. Aang was very, like, pacifist and, you know, trying to be nice to everybody. Korra just punches first and then takes questions later, uh, which is enjoyable to watch. Uh, obviously set, like, a hundred years after the original version, so, like, uh, you know, machines and skyscrapers and all kinds of stuff are in there and uh, that kind of thing. Evan watched it. It's very, very good. Um, tackling a lot of interesting and adult themes, especially for an animated show, which probably explains why it didn't do very well and was, I think, the last few episodes ended up just airing on Nickelodeon's website instead of actually airing on television. Did they? Yeah. I didn't even know that. Okay. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, if you've got free time, I mean, it's only, it's four seasons, uh, 52 episodes, great series, can't recommend it high enough. Uh, J.K. Simmons voices one of the characters, if that, that gets you on board. Uh, but yeah, check out Legend of Korra, now on Netflix. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, we're at that point of the year where we're both kind of catching up on films, trying to finalize our personal test top 10 list, so... Got a couple of films we'll talk about that didn't quite make the list that we've watched in a few. I'm like I'm 99% certain they're not on Dylan's list. Uh, I was about to say, you're just assuming. <laughs> How dare you, sir? Yeah, I am assuming. Uh, 
So I watched Bad Education, the HBO film that came to uh, Foxtel this year, starring Hugh Jackman, uh, Alison Janney, Geraldine Viswanathan. Uh, tells the story of a high school, well, a school district superintendent, uh, played by Hugh Jackman, uh, Dr. Frank Tassone, and his assistant superintendent, Pam Blunkin, played by Alison Janney, who have, over the last like eight years or something while they've been working at the school have been secretly stealing money from the school um, by, you know, charging stuff to a card and then sort of make it look like it's being invoiced to certain places and that kind of stuff. Uh, tells the story of uh, Geraldine Viswanathan's school student kind of uncovering the plot uh, kind of by accident and like everything kind of... It's, it's not like the process of uh stealing the money it's like the last days of this this game before they get caught um really good Hugh Jackman is amazing in this uh he plays obviously a superintendent but he plays like a obviously a gay man in this film um who's like very concerned about how he looks and that kind of thing and is very focused on getting that school to be the number one school in the district and is willing to do anything and feels like he deserves this money because it helps him uh, keep up appearances and helps improve the school and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. And, and it's hard not to feel bad for him because he has this really good scene where he talks to this parent who's pretty much acting like a bitch because her kid's not getting accepted into like this accelerated program, even though the kid can't pronounce the word accelerated. Um, yeah. And he fully like gives it to her. Like you, you know, maybe we don't respect teachers as much as we should. Maybe teachers should be getting paid more than they do, you know? I mean, I don't... don't, It's kind of weird the context of when the movie released in 2019 uh, at the Toronto Film Festival, to where we are now at the start of 2021, where, you know, maybe teachers have pretty hard. Uh, But probably should be stealing tax-faker money. (laughs) Yeah, they probably should be stealing, but I think everyone agrees that teachers are underpaid. (laughs) Underpaid, yes. Uh, Yeah, so I found that really enjoyable. Didn't quite make my top ten, but yeah... Uh, Really good film, uh, worth checking out if you can. Uh, Dylan, you watched The Assistant. Uh, yes, The Assistant is basically Harvey Weinstein, the the movie, without naming Without the rights. Yeah, I mean, and, and, like, I I think it's best to put out front straight away that this movie, uh, my my one big negative for it is it does does a, a very shy... Like, it doesn't go all in. It doesn't have, like, a big, like, moment of comeuppance for its Harvey Weinstein step in or, like, anything of like that. Um, it's, it's, it's literally just 24 hours in the life of this assistant. And from, from the moment she wakes up, she gets in the car, goes to the office, uh, through to the moment when she leaves the office. And this isn't spoiling it, but, like, there is no, like, there's no major moment in the movie where some, like, you know, she's like, she gets to, to, to get the guy arrested or like, you know, like, it, it's more of a, like, realistic look at if you was, if you was working in the, the office, the movie office of a Harvey Weinstein, what little things and what little details would you pick up on like what little jokes would you hear what you know like what what things were going on realistically that people just put up with or 
or didn't really do much about, you know, like that, that's the, what this movie is. Um, and for that, I quite enjoyed it. I think Julia, Julie Garner. Yeah. Um, she, she does like a really great performance in this movie because it mostly rides on her. And at times there's no dialogue. Like it's kind of just her doing things without ever really talking to people. And then, um, cause she's just in off, especially for the first little part of the movie. Cause she's the, she's like the first one in the office before, like by an hour or two hours <laughs> before anyone else even gets there. And, all these other sorts of things, but yeah, it's, it's just lots of little details and like, yeah, it's like a realistic look at, at what that was like for people to be like, you know, they see something, they hear something, people making sort of inappropriate jokes in the office and like how people would, uh, you know, not say anything or they were just so used to it. They, they wouldn't bother to, to care about it. Uh, but no, I, I, I did enjoy it. I just think that if, if you go into this expecting it to be, I guess, a, um, what was that one with Margot Robbie? Uh, uh, bombshell. Bombshell. Like, if you, it, yeah, bombshell is a good way for it. If, if you go into this movie expecting a bombshell at the end of it, you, you're kind of going to be a little bit disappointed because the movie kind of does just end and the credits start rolling. And I guess you could be like, what? Really? Is that, is that all there is? Kind of thing. But no, I, I, I did enjoy it. As much uh, as you can enjoy something about that sort of <laughs> something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I watched uh, The Personal History of David Copperfield, the new film by Armando Anucci that came out earlier this year, starring Deb Patel um, and a whole cavalcade of different reasonably well-known actors like Peter Capaldi, Hugh Laurie, Tilda Swinton, Ben Winshaw. Um, pretty much... Follows the life of David Copperfield as he grows up as a young child uh, in, like, a nice family. Uh, but then when his mother gets married, she meet, marries, like, a douche uh, who sends him away to a bottling plant to work the rest of his life um, until his mother eventually dies and he runs away. Uh, it's cool. It's I Obviously, I've never read David Copperfield, which is a Charles Dickens novel. Uh, so I've got no context for it. Uh, seemed it was enjoyable. A lot of the side characters, like again, but Peter Capaldi, Hugh Laurie, Benedict Wong, uh, Tilda Swinton, all very good. Uh, and get the laughs, but I don't think it's amazing. Uh, especially coming off uh, Death of Stalin, which was much more of a comedy. I felt like this one's a bit more bland. I think is the word I look for. It, it's not as funny. I don't think or amusing as that but uh that might be because of the constraints of the initial story and the time and everything but yeah i didn't it's fine i didn't love it or anything but uh yeah that's there uh then we both also watched emma the uh new film star well not new the film starring anna taylor joy as the titular emma from uh jane austen's line of work uh dylan what'd you think of emma um so I think throughout my years I've been forced to watch versions of this at school and then watch one on my own. Like, <laughs> like, uh, I feel like this is the funniest. <laughs> I guess I guess that's the the point, or like the one that's trying to be the funniest. Mm. Um, it's got some. I I still th- the overall core plot, which is for people who don't know, is basically because 
the oh was it the the concept was turned into Clueless as well or whatever. Like that was the other like it was a, a modern day was it Clueless? I don't know. There was, there was a Monday version. I think it might have been Clue, Clueless or something like that. Anyway, the, the core yep, premise. Clueless. There we go. See, I know my chick flicks. Um, the, the core concept of the movie is basically it's just a, uh, a girl trying to play matchmaker with a bunch of people and how that, uh, you know, doesn't always work out for the, for the best. Um, and I, I've seen it enough times that I, I would say that the, I was struggling to get invested in this movie story-wise and the reason I was still able to keep watching it was because the performances uh, are quite good especially from uh, Anya Anya Taylor-Joy her who basically wears all of her emotions on her face throughout this movie when she's playing Emma like if she doesn't like someone she'll literally just be like side-eyeing them uh, and then if she's like kind of you know what I mean like it was a very uh, emotive performance yep. i felt like like you could just you could tell by looking at her face <laughs> if she didn't like someone or like there was that that one woman uh she picks on unjustifiably she you know that comes back to be part of the the plot eventually uh but like the time she'd run up to a carriage and she'd, she'd just sort of roll her eyes and that sort of stuff so that made it fun to watch and there's some good chemistry between the the cast and stuff like that but if if it wasn't for the performances and some of the the good humor, like Bill, especially you know Bill Nye is running around, he, he's quite funny oh, in this yeah. as well. Um, if it wasn't for all of that, I w- probably would have got quite bored of this and turned it off because it's just it is just the same. I, I've seen this story a million times. I feel at, at this point, and it's from a story point of view, the movie isn't changing anything to do anything unique with it. It's just from a like tone tonal point of view, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, yeah. Similar thoughts. I enjoyed it as well. Uh, but I, I don't necessarily have as. M- I don't think I've watched Emma as many times as you have. I don't think there's that many different. Man, I got in school. They're like, here, we're watching Jane Austen. Like, you gotta learn some shit. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like the Gwyneth Paltrow version, right? And that's yeah, that's of- it. Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah, well, there's another one. There was an older one I've seen as well. Uh, and I'm saying Clueless. Is that count? Yeah. That counts. I guess it was a couple of BBC for like miniseries. Yeah, it might have been one of those. One it? of those. One uh, of those. That was a school one. One of those ones. Okay, but yeah, I enjoyed it. I think Anna Taylor Joy is really good uh, in this. Uh, she's yeah, really. <laughs> she she plays a whatever year version of a woman. Well, what wherever this time is set. Period piece woman. Period piece woman. That's the <laughs> words. Like it's eighteen hundreds or something. Yeah. You know, and uh, I thought John Johnny Flynn was very good as Je- George Knightley. You know, he was, he was oh, a likable lead. You know what, though? Shout out to two members of sex education in this That's movie. That's what I was going to say. It, yeah. I was like, damn. <laughs> That's weird. All these sex education people. Well, yeah, like, I was like, and, and like, it's the, it's, uh, what's his face? The bully. He's playing like this sort of lovable <laughs> uh, guy. Uh, and then um, the really weird girl who does the alien sex play who's playing just, just this a normal. Ob- obnoxious yeah like rich woman or or, or whatever that I, I was enjoying it when they both showed up i was like hey because i think i've seen anything else other than sex education yeah all right uh one more film in our mandatory netflix segment of the show uh dylan you checked out the 40 year old version 
Uh, yeah, so this is, I think you already talked about this one, right? Um, yep. 40 year old version for, in case this is your first episode or something. Uh, it's about a, like, 40 year old woman who does, is sort of like a struggling playwright. Yeah. And she, like, teaches, uh, kids, like, uh, what, what, what do you call that? Like, that's not, uh, normal schooling. That's like a, um, community. Seems like it's a community type. Schooling yeah, something thing. like that. Community. Anyway. Uh, she's a struggling playwright, and she decides she's going to become a rapper, which in concept- as you, do. as you do. Which, when you say it like that, it sounds like this is a uh, parody joke joke movie, but when you actually watch it, it does actually make sense, and uh, it is a drama slash comedy. The movie's quite funny. It has um, good comedy- aspects to it. it has some good dramatic aspects to it these sorts of things uh, there's one running joke throughout the whole movie that i found quite funny every time they did it which is that every time she bent down to get something you just they added in this nice crack noise of her of her knees but <laughs> they did it like several times it made me laugh every time they did it um but no yeah it's it's it just i i think this movie would have done better if they named it something else that's my one big thing like fr- from the title to to me now explaining the core setup for the movie, it sounds like it's a straight to DVD parody of like, uh, it's it, you know like the scary movie guys. It's like, hey, they crossed eight mile with fucking forty year old virgin and made this movie. It's like a it's a parody of these things. Uh, I, I feel like a lot of people are gonna look at the title and go, well, that's a stupid title, and they potentially skip it. So, um, it's shot really well as well. It's got it's shot on black and white. Shot with this sort of gorilla style, I guess. Like it's just seems like it's just very natural shooting to it. I guess is the way to describe it. Um, but no, I, I I did enjoy it. I just think uh, I just hate the title. <laughs> like I just wish it was named something else. Just uh, yeah. All right. Uh, cool. That's it. Uh, let's move into our own personal. Tracked gear and reviews. So if you don't know, Tracked is the number one source to keep track of everything you've been watching, whether it's movie, TV, online content. There's lots of stuff on there. Uh, so if you're a VIP member, you can they'll give you a full list of facts and stats from your year of viewing. So uh, as has become tradition, we'll run through our 2020 year in review. Uh, so Dylan, what was the first thing you watched in 2020? My first play of 2020 was Little Women at 6.05 January 1st. Okay. My first watch was 10 Things I Heard About You, January 1st, uh, 10.39pm. First time I watched that film, I remember. Really? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. All right. Uh, how many hours of TV did you watch last year? <laughs> how many hours of TV did I watch? Um... 367 hours. Yeah, that's pretty good. I watched 644 hours of TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, crush it. Yeah. And mine's quite high. Mine would be higher than last year's. Like, I haven't Probably. looked, but I would, I would assume it's much higher because I've been watching all this fucking wrestling, which counts as TV, so... Hold on, I, I think I can bring up last year's, right? Yeah, hold on, hold on. Let's get, let's get comparison. Last year, I watched... No, I watched 394 hours of TV last year. Fuck, I'm behind. I'm below. <laughs> I'm fucking whatever. In a year, well, you played more video games this year, so I mean, 
I will say they changed the format of the 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 year in review this year. Uh, not sure if I love it. Uh, uh, oh yeah, they did when you look at them side by side. Yeah, interesting. But yeah. Uh, so what are your top five most played TV shows this year? My top five most played TV shows is number one, being the elite, the. <laughs> Uh, AW Wrestling Spinoff YouTube show. YouTube show is my most watched TV show. I watched uh, 10 hours, 30 minutes of it. And that's my number one most thing. And I know you've watched more than I have. So fucking not even close. My second most watched thing is The Corridor Crew. <laughs> Another YouTube show. Six hours, 50 minutes. Uh, my third is... Oh, no, it goes by plays, not hours. Okay, okay. Yeah, that makes plays. Sense. So plays. You have times but, watched next to it. Yeah, yeah, But being the elite, 42 players. Corridor crew, crew, 41 players. Third is All Elite Wrestling Dynamite, 37 players. Uh, my fourth is AEW Dark with 33 players. And my fifth is Big Mouth with 26 players. That's my top five. Okay. Uh, so my top five... New Girl, 146 players, which equates to two days, five hours, 34 minutes. Uh, number two is Community, 100 players, uh, equates to one day, 12 hours, 18 minutes. Uh, Food Wars, 86 players, one day, 11 hours, 13 minutes. High Q, 85 players, one day, 10 hours, 59 minutes. And then Shits Creek, 81 players, one day, five hours, 41 minutes. Fucking hell. Yeah. You really watch all the community show? Yeah, I did. You know? What was that? I know. Whenever it came to Netflix, <laughs> community is great. Uh, so what are you? <laughs> what are your top five genres of TV shows? Uh, my top five genres. My most popular genre is drama, with seventeen percent of my shows. Uh, then it's comedy, 13%. Then documentary, 12%. Science fiction, 8%. And crime, 8%. Okay. Mine is comedy, 16%. Drama, 15%. Adventure, 11%. Action, 11%. Science fiction, 10%. Interesting stuff. All right. Uh, how many hours of movies did you watch this year? I watched 341 hours of movies. How how's that compared to last year? I'm um, two hundred ninety two hours of movies last year, so I am up. I am up a movie. You're up. Okay, interesting. Because I got two hundred eighty four hours of movies, but last year I had three hundred hours of movies. Actually, down. So as long as I keep beating you in movies, I don't care if you fucking more than double my <laughs> fucking TV shows. Yep. All right. Uh, so Dylan, what were your top five most watched? film uh movies um i gotta be honest i'm not i'm not loving the results of these but you know it's just the way the cookie <laughs> crumbles uh yeah. so my number one is tenant so that's two plays for a total watch time of five hours exactly apparently uh my number two is aw full gear uh, which I guess they ca is counted as a movie under the track system. Uh, so that's only one play, but it went for four hours. So <laughs> straight to number two <laughs> position. Uh, number three is 1917, which I've watched twice for a total time of three hours, 58 minutes. And then number four. So this is why I kind of don't like this because I've got 
Uh, number four is AEW All Out. One play, three hours. Tw- no, fuck this. I'm taking these out. I'm giving. I'm skipping them. F- forget yeah, those. Just skip. It's fine. Skip it. Number one's ten. At number two is not at nineteen seventeen. Skip that. Skip that. Skip the, the double or nothing. Here. Skip that. B- Birds of Prey would be my next one. Two plays, three hours, thirty eight minutes. Uh, then you got Ran. One play, two hours forty minute total time because that's all it takes. Uh, and then my my last one would be. The five bloods, one player, two hours thirty six. So really, there's only Tenet, nineteen seventeen, and Birds of Prey are the only movies I watched more than Multiple once. Times, time. Yeah, yeah. yeah I got kind of a simple story. The no- one film I watched twice this year was Onward, uh, two players, which had close to three hours twenty six minutes. Then my other top five are Ran, again two hours forty minutes, Hamilton, two hours forty minutes. The Five Bloods, two hours, 36 minutes, and Wonder Woman 1984, two hours, 31 minutes. Just beating out Tender by a minute. Fact. But, yeah, Wonder Woman must it's be- one minute longer. Because the, the last two on my list, because I nearly went through all 10 of them once I knocked out the wrestling shit. The, the, the only last two on my list is Dark Knight, one play, two hours, 32, and then Suspiria, two hours, 32, one play. Yeah. So Wonder Woman must be just off to the side, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so Dylan, what are your top five genres of films uh, this year? I'm, sounds like it reads pretty much the same. Um, number one, drama, sixteen percent; comedy, eleven percent; action, ten percent; thriller, eight percent; and horror, six percent. Okay, yeah, mine's similar: fifteen percent for drama, eleven percent for comedy, ten percent for action, eight percent for fantasy, eight percent for adventure. Just pipping out anime at six percent. Do you have? I don't know if they did this last year. I just went so far. on the side where it's got most popular studio. So I, I assume yours is the I same assume as mine. My, yes, <laughs> my most popular studio is Studio Ghibli because I watched twenty-two of their movies. And what's your follow-up? Because my follow-up is actually Universal Pictures, which I would assume is from watching all the Fast and Furious movies paired with some other things. And then in third, I've got Marvel Studios because we've been recording all new Marvel cast, which you should go listen to. Yes. Uh, yeah, so Studio Ghibli is the top, and then from there, Marvel Studios, Universal, Original oh, yeah. Film, they're all t- on 10 movies, so yeah, it's like a three-way tie. Yeah. Uh, Dylan, this, I feel like this will also be very similar. Uh, Dylan, what are your top five actors of 2020? Top five actors? Oh, sorry. Top five most top watched five, actors. Yeah, yeah, so this is probably going to be very similar. Uh, my number one actor <laughs> is Stanley with 13 movies. Number two is Vin Diesel with 11 movies. Number three, Samuel L. Jackson with nine movies. Number four is Chris Evans with seven movies, one show. And then number five is Paul Walker, eight movies. Okay. Interesting. Uh, my list is Stanley, 10 movies. Vin Diesel, 10 movies. Samuel Jackson, eight movies. Uh, Kaita Ishiko Ishikawa, uh, two movies, five shows, and Aika Otsuka with four movies and three shows. How do I have 13 for Stan Lee? I don't know. Oh, yeah, okay. So if you click the plus, it lists them all. So I've yeah. got all the Marvels you have, and the two, the ones I have that you don't have are um, Kevin Smith stuff. So James yes. Silent Bob reboots there. Um, can't find, I assume there's another one that's 
Texas what other Vin Diesel stuff did you watch? Because you got 11, uh, right? Got 11. Maybe you forgot to count something. So I've got all the Fast and Furious things, plus Guardians of the Galaxy. But I've also counted, I've, I watched the Turbocharge Prelude. Okay. Uh, Lost Bandellos, the, the the Fast and Furious uh, prequel spin-off stuff, whatever you want to call it. Like I've tra- I've tracked that as well. Maybe I am missing something. So maybe I'm missing. You didn't you didn't track that, yeah? Because they're they're the two extra ones on top of the the core. Oh, Fast I haven't and tracked Furious. Fate of the Furious. Ah, there you go. There we go. <laughs> Completely rigged. Two uh, back now. Years over. Too late. Yep. Uh who are your top five most watched actresses? Most watched actresses are Charlize Theron, six movies, one show. Michelle Rodriguez, seven movies. Jordana Brewster, three, uh, six movies. Hikaru Shida, four movies, one show. And then Elsa <laughs> Pataki for five movies. What what Charlize Theron movies? Obviously the two sh- one she's Charlize in. Charlize Theron, I watched The Road. Faded of Furious, uh, Atomic Blonde, Tully, Bombshell, Home Movie, The Princess Bride, <laughs> and The Old Guard. Yeah. Okay, yep, that makes that sense. That all adds up? Yeah. It does. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my number one is Alice and Brie, three movies, two shows. Number two is Aoki Yuki, three movies, two shows. Number three is Gal Gadot, number four, five movies. Number four is Georgina Brewster with five movies. And Gwyneth Paltrow with four movies and one show. See, M- Michelle Rodriguez, in case you're wondering how I got up there, I've got one plus on Michelle Rodriguez because she's in She Dies Tomorrow. Yeah. On top of all the Fast and Furious stuff, so that's how I ended up on... Yeah. Yeah. Extras. All right, and who are your top five directors? Uh, unsurprisingly, number one director yeah. of last year was Hayao Miyazaki for nine movies. Number two was Asayo Takahata for five movies. Number four... Three for five movies was Justin Lin. Uh, four for four movies. Wow, these all just line up, right? Uh, four for four movies was Ryan Johnson. And then fifth for two movies and two shows was Jon Favreau. Yeah. Uh, very similar list. Nine movies for Hisao Miyazaki. Five shows and one show for Justin Lin. Five movies for Isao Takahata. Two movies and a show for Jon Favreau. And two shows for Michael Uppendahl. So yeah, who's like an uppercut? Yep, who's that? He did. He did two episodes of Hollywood and two episodes of Hunters. Okay, TV director. Yeah, who knows? That name might be very important. You know, I like, like this list because I think last year there was a cut. There was like a at least one random person in my top five, and I was like, who the hell is this person from memory or something? I was like, how'd they even get here? So this this all this adds up after recording that fast and furious podcast and that shooter ghibli <laughs> podcast it's like yes i oh, hear it is last year so in, in my top five directors from last year and number three i had this guy called fred toy and i remember being like who the fuck is that and it was because he directed one episode of american gods one episode of the boys and one episode of watchmen but i was like come on i, I, I don't know you <laughs> so just, i don't know no offense but i just don't know you right it's true all right, uh, and what was the last thing you watched in 2020? My last play uh, was for 2020 was the trial of the Chicago 7 on December 31st at 9 o'clock. Okay. Uh, and my last play was The Good Place, whenever you're ready, uh, 29th of December 2020. 
the 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 explosion networks number one episode of television in 2020 was the last thing i watched good thing to end the year on <laughs> all right <laughs> that's been our tracked year in review of course uh you know if you sign up for tracked be sure to tweet at them that we send you yeah get that sponsorship eventually need to get uh, just waiting till they send us a t-shirt at least yeah all the free publicity <laughs> all right <laughs> let's move on to the main events our own personal top 10 films of 2020 uh dylan what is your number 10 my number 10 is a film i mentioned just a couple of minutes ago she dies tomorrow um so this was uh a movie that's that seems like it was made after the pandemic but it was made before the pandemic uh, so this woman played by, I was trying to find an actress name before I get anything wrong here, played by Caitlin Scheel, right? So she plays Amy and at the start of the movie, she just kind of walks into her home and she, you're like, what the hell's going on? And it turns out that she's just decided somehow, like hundred percent in her brain, she's like, I'm going to die tomorrow. So she's living out the last of her, her life. Uh, and then as the movie continues, it's there, the, this disease if you, I don't know if you can call it a disease, like just somehow having the foresight to know you're going to die tomorrow, uh, it starts spreading. So then it spreads to her friend played by Jane Addams. Uh, and then it kind of goes from there and it just, it kind of just, I, I mean, by the end of the movie, I, it's up for you to <laughs> decide what you think about it. But, um, it's a very weird movie. It's shot great. It's got some of these really great performances. I found it quite funny. I think. It's supposed to be fun. It's like a drama comedy, I guess, but it's also quite weird. And obviously the humor, since it's about people all deciding they're just going to die, it's very dark humor in that. But a lot, it, it just worked for me. Like, and this is one of those movies where I think, I think when I talked about it here, when I watched it, I was like, even when I wrote my review, and I think I gave it like a eight to something-ish, something like that. It's like one of those things where, I could never come on here and say, this is a movie that everyone should watch because it's amazing. I know very much that this is a movie that's going to work for some people and it's not going to work for others. And obviously for me, it, it, it just clicked and I, I very much enjoyed it. I, it was one of the standout things I watched in 2020. Um, I don't know if that's in part because it's <laughs> we was having COVID happening at the same time. It was kind of about, about a potential disease spreading. I don't know if that took part of it. Um, I just found it's a very introspective movie. It's definitely something that I since watching it, I've watched other people's YouTube videos and like read other people's reviews just to see what uh, they thought of the ending, like to, to sort of digest it after after I watched it and these sorts of things. So. Um, but no, I mean, if you, if you want to watch something weird, wacky, kind of out there, she dies tomorrow. Number 10. Cool. My number 10 is Spontaneous, a 2020 American science fiction romantic black comedy film, uh, that stars Catherine Langford and Charlie Plummer, uh, as two high school students in a school where students start spontaneously combusting. This, so I want to watch do. this because this is from the guy who actually did the first uh, uh, baby, whatever that movie is called, um, Babysitter Killer. Babysitter? Yes, he wrote. Yeah, he wrote uh, the first Babysitter. Uh, 
Yeah. So, so, so it, I think it's very much kind of in that tone, uh, rather than obviously the babysitter too, which he didn't write. So no. just, yeah. Um, yeah, really sweet, uh, but also like very dark humor and that kind of stuff of these kids kind of dealing with life as, you know, people start exploding around them. Uh, and there are some very gruesome scenes, oh, like not, not super gruesome, I guess, like, but you know. It's pretty pretty scary stuff in there. Um, if you put yourself in those their shoes and that kind of stuff, uh, but I found it it's it's the kind of fun, quirky, dark comedy that I enjoy. Um, and Catherine Langford does an amazing job. Charlie Plummer is really charming. You know, uh, they're like both kind of like dorky outsiders. So yeah, what's well, not to love? Uh, so yeah, definitely check out Spontaneous. I believe uh, it's on all renting sites at the moment. So that's. A lot of fun. Uh, Dylan, what's your number nine? My number nine is The Vast of Night. It's a movie in which it's kind of like a War of the Worlds slash at times it feels like the movie is could have just been an audio drama and not actually a movie, but that's fine. I still enjoyed it. Uh, it it's it's like kind of set it's set in the 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 50s or whatever and it has the, the film's kind of just broken up into several key acts and most of the acts are kind of just shot in these long takes for the most part and at the first act is just showing you around this the school uh basketball court or whatever and they're like they're helping the, the radio dude who my my still one of my favorite things about this movie is the main character or one of the two main characters played by uh Jake Horowitz uh, he's like the, the the radio dude, you know. He does. He's the he's the DJ, but like he's also like the nerdy dude who they're asking for help setting up the equipment. But because it's 1950s, he's like cool man. <laughs> it's like he's the radio dude. Uh, some of my favorite things about it. Uh, anyway, after setting up the basketball and all these helping all these things early in the movie, uh, the girl who's played by uh, Sierra McCormick in the movie, who's like a switchboard operator, I guess, like or that sort of thing, but for the school, just within the school zone or whatever, uh, she picks up this weird noise on the on the system, and then the rest of the movie is kind of her and uh, Jake Horowitz's character trying to decipher and figure out where this weird single's coming from, and is it coming from aliens in the sky? Dun, dun, dun. Is it a message of peace? Is it a message of war? Who's to say? Uh, but, I mean, the, the movie is... Ve- it's not... Barely has... Well, it has no action. It's... That's what I'm saying. Like, it's... it's could it's a throwback to War of the Worlds, like classic sort of radio-type plays, I guess, but it's... Uh, shot has these great performances. I love the way it was shot. Uh, it, it just grabbed my attention, and and that's uh, one of my favorite things I've watched this year for sure. It's on Amazon Prime if you want to watch it. It's a Prime Video release. Cool. Uh, my number nine is the Australian film Baby Teeth. Uh, obviously, we talked about it not that long ago, starring Ben Mendelsohn, Eliza Scanlon, Essie Davis, and. Uh, Toby Wallace uh, follows a young girl who falls in love with a uh, small-time drug dealer, uh, much to her parents' disapproval, but she's going through cancer. Uh, so, you know, they let her date this older boy. Uh, fun. Well, not fun. It's an <laughs> entertaining story told in a... It feels like a bunch of short stories kind of weave together um, of this family and people kind of dealing with the situation of her slowly dying. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, 
definitely have to check it out. Obviously, won a ton of awards at this year's Actors. Uh, everybody in this is fantastic. Um, and everybody should check it out, except for Nicholas Pryor, who will not like enjoy the film uh, because Essie Davis takes photos with an iPad. <laughs> Fuck, I'm that not is wa- the reason. I'm not watching That's- it. I'm not watching it. Then. I hate that shit. <laughs> <laughs> See that shit in public? I'm going to slap them out of people's hands. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yeah okay i might have turned off a lot of people on the <laughs> but yeah you know she's she's heavily medicated so you can't blame her uh what's your number eight uh my number eight is the only documentary on my list and my favorite documentary of t- 2020 uh the netflix documentary called disclosure trans lives on screen uh i think this is a weird way to put it but like as someone who like obviously uh like i'm not my fucking pop let's put it that way right but there was still so much in this documentary that uh i came to learn about i guess the way tra- uh transgender lives have been represented f- throughout history on tv and like the way certain roles are looked at and the way things should be changed and if that's the way i felt about it it kind of made me go well this film should be in fucking high schools and <laughs> shown to kids to, to to help people have a better uh understanding on how uh trans people are represented throughout history and like what needs to be changed and why certain roles aren't okay and and, and these sorts of things and it's it is just it's not just the subject matter that makes it good it is just it is a very tightly put together documentary with a uh a fairly big quote-unquote cast or whatever like uh people talking giving interviews and just the way it's like cut together between people talking and then also having the you know footage from all these tv shows and movies throughout history that people are bringing up and talking about and these moments uh and, and specifically it does a lot of like pointing out moments in history of like well this was like the first big uh trans character on tv and like they break down how like maybe that was cool like good for the time but like how it's so bad now and like you know like uh, frat history and like yes it, it is really really good and it's tightly edited well paced and it's definitely my favorite documentary i've watched all year uh yeah netflix disclosure watch it uh so my number eight is Wolfwalkers, the animated film from cartoon salon uh currently uh showing on apple tv plus follows a young english girl who's had to move to ireland with her father who befriends a wolf walker who is a young girl who when she's awake she's a girl but when she falls asleep she turns into a wolf and like she she lives with like a pack of wolves in the forest but unfortunately the girl's robin the main girl's dad is a hunter and is being made to kill all the wolves it's like a story of them like learning to uh appreciate each other and, and like you know pacifism and that kind of things but you know man you know people in power don't like wolves and like <laughs> stuff i don't know it's a super sweet story uh beautifully animated and it's like like weird woodblock kind of style but also um it very much cartoons on. so if you've seen the previous films um very much in that style uh in a year in which I watched all the Studio Ghibli films, uh, this would fit in play in very well with those type of films. It hits a lot of very similar themes of environmentalism and, um, you know, spiritualism and that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. it. 
again on Apple TV Plus, all you need is a subscription. It's like five bucks a month. So uh, definitely worth checking that one out. Uh, Dylan, what's your number seven? My number seven is Sound of Metal. But every time I go talk about it, I write The Sound of Metal. And that's, yeah. that's been a problem I've been dealing with. Uh, so obviously you talked about this a couple weeks ago. I've watched it within the, the lead up to doing our uh, award voting and whatever else. Um, and it was really, really, really good. Uh, in case you missed that episode or whatever, it's about a uh, heavy metal drummer played by Riz Ahmed who... Uh, starts losing his hearing at the start of the movie. And like I, th- I can't remember the exact numbers, but he gets told like one ear is like twenty percent, and the other is like around or the same or worse. And uh, obviously, straight away he's he's told you, you can't perform anymore because it's only going to make your hearing worse. So you need to like just stop that to try and retain what hearing you've got. Uh, and then a lot of the movie t- ends up taking place on this. Uh, what do you call it? What do you call that place he goes? Like a, it's a rehab kind of thing. Yeah, like a, a rehab farm. <laughs> I guess yeah. something like that's like a rehab farm. But uh, uh, and while there, he 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 learns. You know, he has to learn how to live as a uh, a deaf person while also coming to terms with you know potential changes in his life. And he's still trying to. He's still wants to save money to get this operation and he wants to hold on to his relationship with his girlfriend played by Olivia Cook. Um, but to, to, to me, the core of the movie is like Riz Ahmed's like show stealing performance. Obviously the best thing he's ever done. I haven't watched everything he's done, but this is the best thing I've ever watched him in, obviously. <laughs> uh, and then I, I would also say Paul, Paul, uh, Paul Racy. Is that how you say his name? Racy yep. or Racky? Racy. Um, Racy. Racy. He's the other cornerstone in this movie. Like his performance alongside Riz Ahmed's is like the the heart of the uh, the movie. And, and it, yeah, I mean, you can't really say too much else without spoiling it. But it's just a it's really moving, impactful. Uh, at times, hard to watch, I guess, movie. But it's just got these really emotional and fantastic performances. And then also the the soundscape, I guess. It's another unique factor of the movie. You watch it with headphones on, and you get this the the way the 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 audio's done, so you, you can hear what he's hearing and like how it would sound to to him at the time. Uh, makes it really unique as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my number seven is Pixar's Onward, the uh, story of two brothers who are trying to find a special artifact so they can temporarily bring their dead father back from the dead for a day. Um, obviously I watched this in cinemas right before the lockdown. It was the last film I saw in cinemas or second last film I saw in cinemas for like a long, long time. Uh, so maybe I look back on that fondly, but I watched it again when it came to Disney plus still a really enjoyable Pixar adventure, still got those emotional moments in there. Uh, maybe it's not as deep and resonating as some other Pixar films, but it's super enjoyable, fun tale. And, you know, fun is kind of what we needed this year. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. It it definitely reminds me of like playing Dungeons and Dragons and those kind of adventure games and that kind of stuff and those fantasy adventures and that kind of stuff and trying to you know doing all those fetch quest things. <laughs> uh yeah, Onward is definitely my pick uh for number 7 this year. Uh great film. Definitely worth checking out. Very 
very underrated and unfortunately it's probably going to go in annals of history as one of the obviously it's the worst performing pixar film of all time because of coronavirus but uh it doesn't deserve to be <laughs> yeah it, uh, it, i think the other problem was it because when it came out it didn't get the sole uh everyone wasn't like accustomed to like oh i'll just go to disney plus uh like especially because soul was like free to watch and yeah like yeah Got buried a bit, I guess. He got buried a bit, yeah. Uh, Dylan, what is your number six? My number six is The Lighthouse. Um, the movie about a lighthouse. I mean, I, I really don't know how to describe this movie. <laughs> it's obviously an experience if you if you watch it. It's an experience that I quite quite enjoyed, obviously. Uh, it's from the... I can't remember Jackson's name. Fuck, I should get it up here. Don't Robert know. Eggers? Yeah, that's it. Robert Eggers. Uh, Eggers, not Eggers. Uh yeah, so it stars Rob Patterson and William Defoe, who are these two lighthouse keepers. William Defoe is obviously the season's vet lighthouse keeper. Robert Patterson is playing the like he's on his first tour of lighthouse keeping, I guess if you want if you want to call it that. Which sounds weird, but they do a lot of uh, measuring dicks in this episode about how long they've they've uh, been in lighthouse, but also measuring dicks literally. So, um, and then also. It's just like I remember that. Scene. <laughs> uh, the movie is just two men trapped on an island together, and they kind of start losing it a bit. I guess is the easiest way to describe it if you uh, haven't seen it or without spoiling everything. But it is just from performances of both William Defoe and Robert Patterson paired with the script, which is written in uh, like somewhat like in tone like in time they're speaking what do you call it like uh they're speaking as they would period they're they're speaking a period piece you know i mean with uh yes does he doubt thou come upon you know like all this i can't remember what you would actually call that type of stuff but like pair all of that with both of their performances and you just have a very memorable uh, experience in this movie. Uh, the cinematography is also quite beautiful and everything else, but it is oddly funny at times. <laughs> there is like jokes that, like, I mean, there's fart jokes in this fucking movie for no reason, but it's just the whole experience of the movie. Like, I mean, there's literally one part Robson, early in the movie where Rob Patterson's character just like walks into a room and Will Defoe's like laying down on the bed and he just, he sits down and Will Defoe just goes, let's have a big big one it's like what is this movie (laughs) i mean and obviously by the end it's a little bit less fart jokes and uh something else completely but i mean it's just a wild ride and i um i I completely love it and i I think between this and uh the witch i'm like cool right two two for two let's go looking forward to this fucking viking movie or whatever he's uh he's doing next that's just gonna be uh complete insanity but yeah this was great uh, my number six is Hamilton. The uh, not loud. The- no, it's fine. <laughs> it was te- it's regarded <laughs> as a movie under track. So I mean, what else? Uh, can you do? Uh, obviously the recording of this the famous musical played on Broadway, uh, starring starring and written by Lin Manuel Miranda. Obviously, anybody who's Heard about Hamilton is probably listening to the soundtrack and is 
watch clips and that kind of thing. So to be able to see a full production of it shot in probably the best way they possibly could have done it, um, you know, it was super enjoyable. And after listening to the soundtrack several times, seeing it actually performed in full and seeing like the little nuances and differences uh, in the way things are delivered uh, during a live performance as opposed to the actual recording uh, was really great and special. And, you know, I think it's presented in a really great way, uh, even including like the intermission uh you know and 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 the uh like the announcement at the start of the show to tell people the show's about to start and that kind of stuff um and to turn their mobile phones off uh which is very important in theater uh yeah (laughs) super enjoyable uh definitely one of the better things that would be classified as a movie that's released this year i think uh i wouldn't be surprised if like we see this in cinemas at some point down the line even though it came to Disney plus i wouldn't be surprised if you're like one night only you can come watch hamilton in the theater uh in a cinema uh then maybe maybe of course uh they're about to do hamilton on sydney uh theater yeah. next year so maybe check it out that way if you don't want to pay to watch disney plus even though that's probably likely I mean, more expensive yeah it's probably a different cast as well so different cast yeah yeah They'll all sp- do speak in Australian accents, you would assume, right? Uh, There'll be a nice spin. I know. They, uh, I was watching. Uh, I watched uh, ABC's Christmas Carol. What? No, not Christmas Carol. New Year's Eve experience thing or whatever. And after the fireworks or something, they had the, the they had the cast of Hamilton, Australians Hamilton come up and sing a song. Uh, and they didn't. They didn't have thick Australian accents, so maybe not. <laughs> maybe maybe it's fine. that's true. There's no dialogue, so there's no, no spoken lines, so it's all singing. So yeah. Uh, Dylan, what's your number five? Uh, my number five is maybe only just recently watched, and it came out like it had. Uh, it just slips into twenty twenty scheme of rules. Uh, Portrait of, of a Lady on Fire, the uh, French film, which got a whole heap of bars at Cannes or wherever it was, and um, I wanted to watch it for ages, and then for a long time I refused because the only way at the time I could find to watch it was. To buy a fucking DV fucking D, and I was like, like a heathen. What? That, see, the other thing I knew about this movie was they were like, they were like the director chose to shoot it on fucking eight K or something because, instead of film and all this stuff. I'm like, cool. So the movie is obviously gonna look great, and they're like, hey, in Australia you can only have it on DVD. I'm like, yeah, no, bro. Um, and then it came out Stan. <laughs> Like mid this year, I think it was. It got added to the streaming service. Anyway, it was a whole fucking comeuppance. Not to mention the fact that, like, I think its release schedule was like it had a limited release, like right at the end of 2019, and then got a um a full release or whatever early January. Of course, it never came to my my cinema. It probably got a limited release in your art house cinema up there or whatever else. Yeah, yeah, it did. <sighs> <sighs> fucking anyway. Long story short, I've I've had a whole story trying to watch this. Uh, and still streaming it free stand, I would still say that there was times where it just, because, it, because there's some scenes where it's like shot at night, you know, that Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones ever, episode everyone hates because of the, the bit rate and streaming and, uh, uh, you know, because it was shot in pitch black nearly, it just like did that whole like weird, like pixely type thing, like the, the blacks go all weird. That this is what that was doing. I'm like, well, if I could find a fucking 4K Blu-ray to watch this on, it wouldn't be doing any of this shit, would it? Anyway, uh, the story of the movie, after I've done all my complaining about 
process of watching it. Uh, the story of the movie is about this woman. What's her name? I don't know. Uh, Marianne. So she come, she's a painter, portrait painter or whatever. She's a painter, artist. Uh, and she get, she come, at the start of the movie, she's coming to this island uh, this where this other woman who's called uh, Hel- Heloise. Heloise? Heloise, yeah, sure. Uh, and she's getting... She's her mother's trying to how do you say that it's saying that she's trying to marry her off to this uh you know wealthy man set during the eighteenth century or whatever it is uh and then she wants a portrait portrait made of her and what happened to the last painter this the she refused to have a her her portrait painted because she doesn't want to be sold off to a a rich man and so and so so the the setup for the movie is. Uh, this girl's mother's like, hey, you're here to paint her, but also you're not allowed to let her know that you're here to paint her. So we've told her that you're just going on, you're, you're a walking partner, you're here to be a friend with her, and so you have to go around, you have to be going on these walks with her, you have to become friends with her, all the while trying to remember details of her, and then when you go back to your room at night, you've got to try and remember those details and, and paint this great portrait. That's It's like a secret spy movie really when you when you pitch it that way um and i mean long story short of course as all this uh, as she starts to get to know the the girl she's she starts to like her starts to become friends with her and then she starts to feel a little bit more friends with her and she starts the they both start to get feelings for one another and then of course it's the the movie turns into this sort of forbidden uh love sort of thing um i think that the, the the, fi- the the films, like all the acting's great. You've got this very core cast of characters because they're set on this this island in buttfuck nowhere, wherever it is. So there's, there's only really a couple of people in the whole movie. It's like the two, the two girls and there's a third girl um, who's a uh, like a handmaiden or or whatever you want to call it, like that that type of person. And there's a couple of people in it, but really it's just those three. Um, and all the acting's great, all dialogue's great, all the 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 romance when you when you get to that that's fantastic as well but i definitely feel like the thing that makes this movie stand out is the way it's uh shot like it is if if if, if you've ever heard someone say portrait of a lady on fire is a beautiful movie they're not overselling it like but between the way it is shot stunning cinematography and then you pair that with the fact that they actually have these paintings that that, that she's making in this movie which are fantastic paintings um, to the degree that I looked it up after and they're like, yeah, those paintings that were made for this movie are now like getting taken around to different museums around the world to, to go and show us, hey, here's the paintings from Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, it's just a it, it very eloquent, eloquent, well-written, beautiful movie with this uh, fantastic uh, love story. Um, very, everything I would say is it's definitely got that whole because it's directed and written by a, a, fe- a female director, what's her name, uh, Celine Schiammer? Schiammer, that's what I'm going to go with, right? Sure. Uh, who directed, the, well, the only other thing I know that she's done is uh, Girlhood, that one from 2014. Um, and it's, it's when, the, when the film gets to its, I would, it, maybe if it was a guy movie, you'd call it sexy scenes. But it's because you call it the female gaze. It's a very uh, sensual movie when it comes to that sort of stuff. But um, no, love it. Great, great movie. Can't wait to get the 4K one day. Rewatch it again, and uh, I'll complain less about the bit rate 
of the blacks. <laughs> Whatever the <hell>. Blacks <laughs> color. The black color is getting fucked. Black's not really a color, so the, the lack of color getting fucked. Okay. Uh, my number five is also a film that just scraped into uh, 2020. Released January 1st, 2020. Little Women. Uh, the latest film by Greta Gerwig, starring Saoirse Ronan, Emma Watson, Florence Pugh, Liz Scan, Laura Dern, Timothy Chalamet, Meryl Streep, uh, and Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. Um, adaptation of the 1868 novel of the same name, I think, is easily the best version of the the story that we've gotten so far. Uh, obviously, stellar cast. Um, I mean, like really interesting way that obviously Greta Gerwig chose to tell the story with obviously intertwining two halves of the novel in which she obviously in the original novel she tells it in a linear fashion in this one she tells it in a non-linear fashion uh in which you tell the story of their childhood rather as opposed to the story of their I guess young womanhood um and how that reflects culminating in certain scenes that uh kind of oppose each other perfectly uh yeah i think obviously florence Pugh, amazing in this obviously her character has long been regarded as like a villainous uh character <laughs> or like an antagonist or whatever but i think everyone kinds to come to love and appreciate amy watch this film uh yeah it, it of all the period pizzas i watched this year this is probably the best one so yeah so i'll just jump in because this is my number four um you know i was gonna make a joke about how i keep picking movies that got limited releases in 2019 and just scraped into 2020 but uh so yeah i obviously the first movie i watched and it made it to number four on my list so that means it's something that lasted throughout the whole year and it is just this this it's the cast really i mean as great as greta gerwig's direction and the her screenplay and everything you're talking about like mm. her take on it is definitely an element of what makes it special but i'd say it's like without this cast Sarah's Ronan, Emma Watson, Florence Pugh, Liz Gallen, Lord Dern, Timothy Chalamet, Chal- Chal- uh, Bob Onikert, and who- who- whoever the hell else. Like it's well, it's mainly the girls, I guess. If you want, <laughs> it's yep. mainly the girls. Let's be real, it's mainly the girls we're talking about. But uh, you just love all of them by the end of the movie. There's no like, oh, yep. the bitch sister, <laughs> fucking, you know, yeah. yeah it's, it's it's none of that with this movie. It's just like. You want all of the girls to be happy by the end of the movie. You want all of the marchers to be happy by the end of the movie. Um, you feel sad for them all when you got to feel sad. And there are some sad moments in the movie, obviously, and there's happy moments in the movie. And uh, you don't like when they're showing a certain character or focusing on a certain character at different times. It's like, oh, we're going to focus. Well, I mean, obviously, the main part of the movie is like mostly focused on Joe. She's like the main character. But then when you're, you're showing Meg and she's off to be a rich girl school or whatever you want to call it like all the dinners and all that stuff you're not like oh yep. i'm sick of following this character or like when you're following amy through her her uh, art art getaway with her aunt or what was it it was an aunt right meryl yeah. streep yeah yeah it was yeah. um you're not like oh i'm sick of following amy and like you know like when you and then beth you're definitely not sick of because you just you're just hoping for the best for her throughout this whole this whole movie for, for certain reasons so yeah i, I guess the the that's it. I mean, you just like all the characters. Ned Laura Dern, most lovable mum in movies in quite some time, I would say. Like, you, you just mm. want her to be your mum. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, Little, Little Women was great. Loved it. Cool. So that was your number four. Yep. 
My number four is I'm thinking of ending things. The latest film from Charlie Kaufman. Can I just say, I find this so funny because the first time we talked about it, you just sounded so like not sure if you even liked the movie. <laughs> yes, it is a movie that's kind of stuck with me and I've enjoyed reading the discourse around it, uh, which probably in, in, enhanced my enjoyment of the actual film. Uh, if you don't know, psychological suspense film uh, in which a young woman takes a drive with her boyfriend, Jake, to meet his parents at a farm. Just some of the dialogue in this is some of the best I've heard this year. Like, there is a cut. They drive to their farm. It's like 20, 30 minutes. 20, 30 minutes. It <laughs> is some of the most engaging stuff, even though it's just two people in the car talking about poetry and all sorts of stuff. Um, and then, obviously, the weird shit starts happening and becomes clear that it, this film is not as simple as it appears to be. Um, and, you know, it's... The four main characters, Jesse Buckley, Jesse Plemons, Tony Collette, David Thurlis, all do a fantastic job. Um, and yeah, I think Charlie Kaufman, another great Charlie Kaufman mindfuck, pretty much. His last one, apparently, so. Maybe. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, what's his, Steven Soderbergh said the same thing, so. Yeah. He'll go, now he'll just go direct TV. Now he'll just make YouTube stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Dylan, what's your number three film of the year? My number three is The Invisible Man, the thriller horror, whatever you want to call it, starring um, buddy Elizabeth Moss, a woman who, at the start of the movie, of course, uh, escapes this. Uh, well, I mean, you don't really know why at the start of the movie, I guess, but she's she's escaping with a secret bag hidden under a bed and everything, and this whole like big deal to escape, and then it. Uh, then shortly after, find out that she was, she was running away from her, her her boyfriend because he was abusing her, and then uh, you're like, oh, he's he's dead, like he killed himself, and everyone's telling her that she should be happy, but then she starts getting signs that he may not actually be dead, and uh, I mean that's that's called the setup for the movie, I guess, but it it's just it has some of the most intense scenes. Throughout, throughout the year, there are. Uh, I don't want to spoil them all, but there, there's one. If anyone's watched the movie, the dinner scene, you know what I'm talking about. That is just like one of the most shocking uh, moments in movies I've watched all year and, and still sticks with me. Uh, of course, the performances in the movie are fantastic, especially from uh, Elizabeth Moss. And then you've got the. Uh, I mean, you can break down to the psychology of the movie because, of course, at the end of the day, the, the movie saying more than just uh it's, it's more than just your normal horror movie to break it down you know abusive relationships and the uh, men in power and and these sorts of things but um fantastic movie everyone should watch it cool my number three is the trial of chicago seven the latest film from aaron sorkin uh starring uh, an ensemble cast featuring Yahab, Yaha Abdul Martin II, Sasha Barry Cohen, Daniel Flattery, Joseph Gordon Lovett, Michael Keaton, Frank Lee Jella, John Carroll Lynch, Eddie Redmayne, Noah Robbins, Michael Rylance, Alex Sharp, and Jeremy Strong. I think it is, of course, it's fun listening to people deliver Sorkin dialogue. Uh, Sorkin has a very distinct uh, voice uh, that is fun to hear. Uh, obviously, set around the trial of Chicago 7, which uh, saw uh, happened after they made a pro they held protests at the National 
Democratic National Convention in Chicago in August 1968 uh, and were accused of inciting riots um, and follows kind of the case of what happened and, you know, flashing back to the events of the days uh, leading up to it and kind of discussing how all these people of this, like, kind of opposing ideologies came together to hold these events and then uh, kind of got screwed, kind of getting screwed over by a corrupt judge to a certain extent. Uh, I just, I think everybody is amazing in this film, uh, especially Sasha Baron Cohen gives one of his best uh, non-comedic performances, even though it is kind of comedic. Um, and yeah, obviously Mike Raylance, amazing. Franklin Jell, one of the worst people you watch on film this year. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. So, this, yeah, that's so because three. I couldn't figure out how to do my top ten, I ended up doing top fifteen because it made me be it made it easier to place, like to to narrow down my list. So anyway, this this is fourteen in my top fifteen. <laughs> the the <laughs> way I, I I worked it out because I only watched this as I said on <laughs> New Year's uh, Eve finally. But no, this I <laughs> couldn't get over that the one scene I can't stop thinking. You're like, oh, Sasha Barrico is more serious movies. I'm like, I can't stop laughing at that one scene in the movie where they come in and they're wearing like the judge uniforms and the judge is like, stand up and they're like, what's he wearing? He's like, well, we just came dressed like you to honor you, judge. He's like, take those off and they rip off the judge uniforms and then they've got like sheriff uniforms underneath. He's like, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny um it's it's just weird how funny that movie is while also tackling obviously very uh, uh serious. serious stuff at the same time um and I, I gotta be honest i after seeing everyone's like hot takes on the internet about um the writing of being a, a bit too on the nose or whatever else i'm like i don't give a fuck like it's very obvious that this movie is like he's like i'm telling the tale of this from the thing that happened in the seventies, but also I'm going to tell it in a way that's very much like saying, Hey, shit like this could happen again. Slash is kind of happening again. Like, you know, like it's, it, you can tell it's written in a way to say, like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not doing a movie about a thing that happened. I'm doing a movie about a thing that happened. That's very relevant to, to today. So I guess some of the dialogue comes off a bit, uh, hand fisted, but at the time I'm like, mm. I, I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, it was, especially when you got the <laughs> great lines like that in there. Yeah. Uh, Dylan, what's your number two film of 2020? My number two is, holy shit, I'm going to come. Um, Uncut Gems. <laughs> Uncut Gems, a film that got a limited release in America and then never even got one here and just came out on Netflix in uh, January, whenever it was. Uh, so, yeah, if you haven't watched Uncut Gems and you have a heart problem, don't watch it. But if you don't have a heart problem, uh, you should watch Uncut Jams because it's two hours something of just a uh, pure uh, anxiety-inducing slash and adrenaline at times. Uh, it's one of the hardest movies to watch because you just want to turn it off because you fucking hate every decision that the characters make you on scene. So it's in fact, I don't think I could, I don't think I've ever watched a movie where I've just hated every decision a character is making at all times throughout the movie. And I mean, that's that's kind of the point because in case you don't know that the, the movie is literally Adam Sandler's character. Um, he, he plays a, um, he's a, was he like a broker? What's he? Yeah, yeah, like a that's a job, like right? a pawn yeah, like a pawnbroker, yeah. yeah. Uh, so he, he's in debt to a lot of people, and the movie is basically him trying to wheel and deal and trade and like get this big rich diamond so he could sell it off to like make make the big payday while also paying off all the people he owes 
debt to throughout the movie. However, there's times when he could have just paid everyone off throughout the movie and everything would have been okay. Uh, and he instead, because he's a fucking addic- a- addict to gambling, he chooses to like double down and try and not just pay back his debt, but make more money while on, on the same time. He keeps wheeling and dealing. And the movie is just the way it's shot, the way it's paced. It's just people are always talking. People always like the moment the camera goes into the the pawnbroker place. Just the way that that like especially the opening in the movie shot with just people back forth, back forth, talking, talking, talking. Like you're on your ear. It's just it's a lot uh, done on purpose, of course. But yeah, no, it, 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 it almost feels documentary like <laughs> to a degree. Like especially in those sorts of scenes. And um, yeah, Adam Sandler gives his. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's anything else like his best performance ever like in a serious mm. role i don't think anything like there's a couple of serious roles he's done that i, uh, I quite like like uh the mayor witz stories he did a couple of years ago and um i can't think of there's at least one other movie i can't think of but punch drunk love or, yeah uh, so there's, there's like a couple of things he's done over the years but um yeah. i don't think anything comes close to his his performance in this it is definitely the best thing he's done and uh, the directors of this movie the safety brothers between this and of course we've talked about good time and i i love that movie as well i'm just like come on like they're hitting it out of the park with these uh with these movies and sort of i know robert patterson maybe didn't need in reinventing to the degree that adam sandler did but you know they give these roles to people and you're like you can't really pitch them in the roles like if you were to pitch it ahead of time but when when they're in the movies they're just fucking in the movies and uh yeah uncut gems is 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 a hell of a ride yeah, so I watched this one in the lead up to catch up <laughs> to, I felt like I had to watch it, uh, cause obviously you and Nick love this film a lot. Uh, like you said, very stressful <laughs> experience, uh, watching it. At one point I just had to stop and like read what happened. <laughs> cause I was like, I don't think my body can put up with any more of this stress. Uh, so, uh, yeah, amazing film, but you know, it, it's not something i want to go through it's, it's so weird though because like the amount if you go to remember you go to a video store in the old day and you go to, like the thriller section man i don't, <laughs> I don't think anything else is like on a thriller level as uncut gems like i can't remember the last time i can't even like name any other movie in recent memory that's stressed me the fuck out like this movie has and like i mean it's like it's, if that's what it's aiming to do you can't really fault it you know like yeah. Its aim is to stress you out. Although maybe they should have a warning at the start. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, you know, what a film. Uh, my number two is Sound of Metal. Uh, again, the film written by, uh, co-written, directed by Davis, Darius Marder, starring Riz Ahmed, Olivia Cook, Paul Ritchie, Lauren Riddleoff, and Matthew Alamerick. Uh, amazing performance by Riz Ahmed. Uh, really, like, tough story to cope with and to watch. Um, and, you know, the story of, like, somebody, an addict kind of dealing, a, a recovering addict dealing with this uh, process and massive change to their life um, and how they cope with that. So, yeah, uh, I think you've covered most of what we wanted to talk about it. Uh, but yeah, one of the best movies of the year, like incredible sound design, uh, that I think after watching this, you kind of appreciate the hearing that you've got and you're like, maybe I need to be more careful. Uh, you know, 
I know I'm not going any rock concerts anytime soon, but uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, maybe steer clear. You know, maybe turn the volume down a little bit on my headphones and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, because it, it it it's kind of losing your hearing is kind of like a scary thing, even though uh, the people in this film are of the opinion it's not something to fix. It's like it's just the way you are, and that kind of thing uh, is a which is a great message to have, but you know, it's still like a scary prospect. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dylan, what is your number one film of 2020? My number one film of 2020 is the... Well, it's not called the... I just keep adding the to movies. Uh, <laughs> it's everything. True History of the Kelly Gang, a film that didn't get a limited release wow. and just came out on streaming services <laughs> <laughs> uh, in early January. So, uh, obviously, I liked this movie a lot when it came out and like it was getting a lot of like mixed reviews or whatever else. And when I was when I was sitting down to you know knock knock out my list that I had my top sort of five there, and I I sort of kept I kept trying to not place it number one for whatever reason, just doing that whole thing subconsciously where I'm like, no, nah, I can't have that as number one, you know, like that's a can't have that. But I I just kept thinking, I'm like, no, no other movie because I I went and rewatched certain scenes from it again on YouTube just like to see how I I felt watching them. I'm like, damn, this fucking movie's great. <laughs> like, I really like this movie. So, fucking nuts, number one. I And I have thought about it periodically throughout the year, like, at different times, and just different scenes and just the, the performances and just the, the way the, the movie makes you feel. And the, I don't know. Like, it's, I don't know why it works so much for me, but it does. But in case you don't know, because um, obviously I haven't talked about it since, I guess, the start of the year, uh, it's... It's called True History of the Kelly Gang, but it's kind of anything but it it starts out and tells the story of Ned Kelly, of course, the the eventual Australian Bush Ranger or whatever you want to call him. Um what your view on Ned Kelly is is up to you, I guess. Um and it, it starts out when he's a child and tells the, the the story of of that and then it kind of switches up to when he's a, a teenager and like his family trouble that leads to him becoming the uh the man that everyone knows him as throughout australian law and history um more in history but i i guess i i think the thing i like so much about the movie is that it literally in my mind i, I don't think it's really up for the debate ned kelly is in australia viewed as like the symbol of tough guy australian shit like i see people coming to work wearing Ned Kelly shirts and they're like fucking bikers or you know what I mean? Like it's people love Ned Kelly and they, they think of him as this badass piece of uh, Australian history. Right. Um, and I mean, I guess maybe if you, depending on how much you know about Ned Kelly or how much you look at it. I mean, I, even I, when I was like in grade six or seven, the first time I found about Ned Kelly, I was like obsessed with him. Like, and my name would buy me books about Ned Kelly. Um, Remember when my when I was in grade seven, uh, we, my family we did like a, a drive around Australia, went to the the key places, and we stopped at like the Nick Kelly place and whatever fucking town it is, and like looked at all the things there, like uh, whatever the, the city is, the town where he had his last stand. Um, so like even I've always been interested in Ned Kelly because it's like such a big part of Australian history, and what this film does <laughs> is it literally takes the most machoism thing in, in a lot uh, 
one of the things that people love about Australia, Ned Kelly, and kind of turns it on his head, and it's like an intro, interesting introspect at not only Ned Kelly as a person, but also, I guess, the way Australians view and look at Ned Kelly and uh, what he done. And I think that's the, the reason I find the film so interesting, because it's not just a film about Ned Kelly, it's a, it's a film about his... Uh, his legacy and, and the, the way people perceive and, and, and look at his legacy. Um, and outside of that, it has these fantastic performances. Like George McKay is in this movie. And I know obviously everyone's going to, if people say George McKay 2020, people are going to go, the guy from 1917. Yeah, he was great in that movie. Whereas I'm like, yeah, the guy <laughs> played Ned Kelly in the true history of Ned Kelly gang. Uh, he was fucking great in that movie. Charlie Hunnam's in this movie. He's great. Essie Davis is fantastic in this movie. Russell Crowe is uh, fantastic in this movie as well. Like he's got the all-star cast. Um, cinematography is fantastic. It definitely has. I saw actually there was a post going on Twitter the other day. Uh, I saw a couple of people share it, but I can't remember who actually tweeted it. It was just like a picture of, it was one picture from this movie and then three other pictures. And it was like, wow. Uh, it was something like, uh, Australian westerns where it makes makes Australian westerns look like a like an alien world or something. Did you see that one going around? Yeah. yeah. And like yes. one of the screens was from this movie. And yeah, I mean this movie has a lot of that, especially in the first half where it's it's kind of like it is obviously set in in and around Victoria area, like that sort of thing at times. And um, it just doesn't seem it like it's it does seem like otherworldly, like alien, like what's happening and what's going on. But um soundtrack the 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 score is absolutely fantastic i just i just i think <laughs> if you if you saw reviews for it that were bad i honestly feel like and i know like for example our own nicholas pride didn't like this movie and that, that's fine you know like it don't like it that's up to you but i, I definitely feel like it's 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 a movie that's going to work for some people not going to work for some people and I, I just find it so interesting because some of the reviews i've seen you can tell it's people not liking the movie because they like Ned Kelly as this like super macho symbol and uh, like ultra man fucking Australian icon. And then people get so shitty <laughs> at the way they sort of present Ned Kelly in, 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 in this movie. And I find, I, I just find that interesting. Cause I'm like, what, well, why psychology? Why, why do people put Ned Kelly on such a high pedestal? Like why does it upset so many people if they, if, if, if someone says something about Ned Kelly, I don't know it's just, it's interesting to me, and this this movie presents it in a certain way. Beautiful film. It's on stand if you want to watch it. Cool. Uh, my number one film of 2020, probably to no surprise of anyone, Palm Springs, uh, the romantic comedy starring Andy Samberg, Kristen Melody, uh, J.K. Simmons, uh, in which they get stuck in a time loop. And, you know... Hi, Jinxin Shu. Jinxin Shu. You know, having to live each day in and out, you know, at the same wedding uh, and like figuring out how to live life, I guess, during that. Um, yeah, super charming leads, super charming story overall. Like, I feel like uh, it's not long so it's like super well paced uh it doesn't outstay its welcome or anything uh you know and there's i feel like there's it's very layered and uh you know very really important film you know uh for making you feel good <laughs> uh it's kind of uh the perfect like 2020 you know, film we've had a perfect 2020 film when we've all felt like we've been living the same day day in day out 
uh, for a long portion of the year. Uh, but like, it really tackles like the time loop genre, which has kind of had a renaissance in the last couple of years. Thursday, uh, what a concept. Parodies some of the ideas and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I love Palm Springs. Uh, available on Amazon Prime. That's my number one film of the year. Uh, yeah. Were there any honorable mentions you wanted to make? Yes, yeah, so I can just read off my. Apart from, uh, so my number eleven was because, as I said, I had to do top fifteen. Uh, my number eleven was nineteen seventeen because uh, I really like that movie. Not as much as some people, but I really like it. Obviously, I did watch it twice, and it is a uh, experience. Like if you're one of those people that watches movies on your phones and you watch that movie on your phone, you're fucking disrespecting. That is that is a movie best seen on cinema, big screen, just fucking, you know, experience it. Yeah. Uh, number 12 was Crypt Camp. So that would have been another documentary in my, uh, that's my second favorite documentary I watched this year. Talked about it a couple months ago. It's a Netflix one about this uh, camp uh, for uh, all manners of disabled people, like all different types of disabled people mm. coming together. But it's not just like the camp that they come together over. It's also like sort of this, um, what they do afterwards that is like a push for adding, you know, like wheelchair ramps to places. Like, and it's, it's just like a part of history that I knew absolutely fucking nothing about that, you know, like when you look around the world now and you see, um, things, the uh, accessibility type things and like from wheelchair ramps to whatever else, like it, it, you watch a documentary like this and it really feels like it started, um, with these people. Uh, at number 13, I had the five bloods. Um, obviously the, uh, we, we, we talked about it. Like when that coming out, like June, something like that, middle of the year-ish. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, Spike Lee joint. Uh, obviously it tell, well, it tells the story of these, was it five vets? Some, I think it's like four or five vets, right? Um, they're coming together to return to Vietnam after, well, like in like current day, uh, to try and honor the. Uh, to recover the body of their fallen, yeah, the uh, leader. their leader uh, Ch- who was played by um, Chadwick Boseman, uh, but also gold. But also, they want to find gold that they left behind. Yeah, during the movie, <laughs> um, and the movie just tackles lots of interesting ideals, like especially having a one of the characters who, like, a black man who's a Trump supporter, and you know, it's like it's like a interesting looks at sort of character types and these sorts of things. And the movie is mm. both a war movie, a comedy, a hunt to find gold. Like, it's just a lot of things. and It's like a lot to take in the first time you watch it, but it's, it's definitely probably, it's definitely one of the best things I've watched all year from a uh, performance side of things. Uh, and then, yeah, number 14, I had to try Chicago 7. And then at number 15, I had time, which I feel like I did a bad job of explaining last week. And that's because I don't, I really, I, and I, I don't really know how to pitch. All I know is the best way I described it the week when talking about it is, I guess, the way I'd pitch it. Like, it is, 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 it is a documentary where um, it feels like you're watching poetry in motion to a degree. It's just like it is – you, you watch it. It's like 90 minutes or whatever, and it's just about this, this, this woman trying to get a, her, her husband out of – jail for a crime they committed and it's just it's beautifully shot beautifully put together and um it captivates you from start to finish it's very emotional uh roller coaster to go through um I f- so yeah so after saying i only had like one documentary I ended up saying three in my top 15 but there you go 
that that's isn't uncommon. I've seen a lot of documentaries popping up on people's lists this year, so uh strong year for documentary makers. Uh I guess a couple of honorable mentions for me. Uh Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, Tenant, Old Guard, The Five Bloods, Birds of Prey. Great. A lot of fun. Soul, happy season. Uh Broken Hearts Gallery in nineteen seventeen. Those were the, all the other ones that I had on my short list, so uh there was a lot of good stuff this year. Uh, you know, it was just a bit harder to find because it wasn't well, I mean, in the cinema. Without spoiling, look forward to our the Exposure Movie Awards. But like, I had to, ended up twenty two. Actually, it's all it's it should all. Oh be right, yeah, it's all, it's all out. Yeah, so it, it, it's it's fine. I'm, I'm our winner. You should know by this point the Sound of Metal, obviously. But um, unless you're listening to it right as this releases, which I highly doubt, but it'll be like a couple of hours before the yeah, story comes out. But, um, but I I had twenty three, yeah, one two two, twenty three total movies on my shortlist um, for picking stuff. So um, I actually had to knock some off even before throwing you on my <laughs> on my nominees, let alone picking um, narrowing it down to my personal top 10 list uh, and then like discussing what we should pick for our stuff and um so yeah for, for a year where everyone's like oh there wasn't wasn't many good movies or like not much came out everything or, got delayed, everything got delayed. So, yeah. a year in which all the big bluster blog big blockbuster movies got pushed to next year uh yeah there was still good stuff yeah, to i find. mean so the only big blockbusters i guess i had was i did have tenet which would be on my that's in my list of twenty three here, so it's in my top twenty five. I guess, I guess, like I don't know where I'd rank it because I haven't yeah. done it for us. And then I did have Birds of Prey also in here, which um, I I I I also feel like people underrate that movie quite a lot, which is kind of weird. Like I don't know if it's because people hate on DC movies or like you know like people weren't weren't interested in watching it at the time. But you know, I've watched that twice and rewatching that that second time, I was like, fuck, this movie is just full of life and funny and like just this yeah. is great it's, action scenes are actually fucking good like probably some of the best better than all those fucking marvel movie action scenes good come on <laughs> all right all right that brings to the end of this episode of what do you want to watch uh if you want to let us know your top movies of 2020 let us know on twitter by going to explosion.com slash twitter or you can go to explosion.com uh, to find our news, reviews, podcasts, and all of our best of 2020 content. It's all there right now. Probably. I'd Hope say. So. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you want to help us out, leave us a review either on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser. Leave one on Twitter or tell a friend about the podcast. Every little bit helps. Um, I haven't got a bit for this week. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much for listening. Until next time. Keep watching stuff, I guess.